Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you. Bright and early. We're recording earlier than we normally do today. We certainly are. We certainly are. But this is how dedicated we are to bringing people the best that we can give them. Doesn't matter the time of the day, evening, night, whatever it is, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. And the people have responded. They've sent us questions in time as well, which was the, the big concern. We have stuff to talk about and we have football to talk about. There were two matches last week. Yeah, it's kind of amazing because I think I wrote in the blog today, if those had been games uh, under Arsene Wenger, I'm not sure I would have watched them. You right. know? Would you? Uh <sighs> Maybe because I think that by the, it's around this time that I sort of really start missing the football. Yeah, but we've know? had a World Cup, you know. We've had the World Cup to infuse us with football. In a non-World Cup year, I think I would have watched them. In a World okay. Cup year, probably not. Mm. It was um, it was interesting. I thought it was interesting, obviously, to see uh, how invested people were in these games or how interested they were in these games simply by virtue of the fact that it's something new and it's something different and it's a new coaching setup, it's a new manager or new head coach, whatever you want to call him. Mm. Um, you know, it's not that people are that interested in the International Champions Cup. I don't think it's that. The the glory and prestige of that particular competition is not is not something that, that enthuses a lot of people, but because it's new and because we've got some new players and we're trying to desperately work out what is Unai Emery going to do? How is he going to do it? Who's he going to do it with? Everyone's watching. I can't believe you're suggesting that the, the blow of missing out on Champions League football hasn't been significantly assuaged by being in the International Champions Cup. <laughs> that is the real competition, isn't it, where everyone really wants to be? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> did you notice, I think you did notice, I saw it in your blog, actually, but the way that the commentators in both games had to talk up the importance of said International <laughs> Champions Cup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was really quite amusing, you know, uh, uh, did it on the podcast on Friday, but when Emile Smith Rowe, you know, uh, scored the goal against Atletico Madrid, and what a what a fantastic goal it was for him, and we, mm. we we might talk about him in a few minutes' time. But Keith Andrews, who's going, wow, what a way to announce yourself to the world of football, you know, as if it's not just us desperate fucking nerd Arsenal fans sitting there watching these games, you know, the entire <laughs> world. You can imagine, you know, the, the the way they do these montages of World Cups, and they show people from all over the world in bars, in, in nightclubs, they're watching in. Hot 
huts. They've got like one guy's got a electrical cable and he's showing it to an entire village. Like everybody is sitting watching the International Champions Cup going, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> it really is truly bringing the world together. Uh, that was a great moment, actually. That was probably, uh, I, mean, I mean, of the two games, I, I did find one significantly more enjoyable than the other. Is that fair? Yeah, which one? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I mean, look, the Atletico game, I'll remember it for Emil Smith-Rowe's, you know, international arrival, as you've just put it. But yes. Aside from that, it wasn't, uh, I don't know, I didn't take away vast amounts from that one, did you? No, I mean, I, I don't know that there is an awful lot that we can take away from these games. We can make some vague observations, I think, based on those games and those games alone. But yeah, I mean, it was a bit dull, the Atletico Madrid game. At least the PSG game had a lot of goals in it, a late flurry of goals to make it uh, quite a very healthy scoreline, a very healthy win for for the Arsenal side. So yeah, that was, that was a bit more enjoyable. But, you know, at, at that point, the game was being played at walking pace wasn't it PSG were not that they'd given up but it was a very young side and um, you know the last few minutes um, you know when we scored those couple of goals now it's nice to see us score the goals and the players look happy don't they I mean that's the one the one takeaway perhaps I have above all else is that there looks to be uh, a really good spirit within the squad and we've all seen the stories about how they're working hard and how they're pressing and how there's more tactics and all that kind of stuff but just generally speaking they look like a really happy bunch at the moment they do, yeah. I mean, sometimes a manager can come in uh, and sort of crack the whip a bit and, you know, make people work hard and it doesn't make him necessarily the most popular or the players don't respond to it positively. But yeah. listening to the players, I think Hector Bellerin gave an interview. He spoke about working harder and seemed very enthused by the prospect. I, I do think that they look content and energised. And, and also, I mean, I know what you're saying about we can't read too much into the PSG game in terms mm. of the team that they put out. I think there is something to be drawn from that. The fact that we do have a strong side in preseason already playing together, already gelling, and that when we start the Premier League season, we should be a little bit ahead maybe of some of our rivals in that respect. Yeah, because we haven't had so many players at the World Cup uh, yeah. like like other teams have. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it is, a, it is a bonus, hopefully, an advantage we can take into the opening couple of games because they are two, uh, if we, you know, don't let ourselves forget, two very difficult games to start our season with, Manchester City and then Chelsea. So, you know, having any kind of momentum going into those games will be will be really important. So um, let, me, let me ask you a couple of things just about the tour in general and what you've what you've seen who is who has stood out for you as um you know again everything comes with the caveat of it it's just being pre-season it's summer you know the games are, are not necessarily meaning less but they're they're a way for the manager to to uh to get an idea of the players that he has and and work with them in certain formations you know what have been your maybe two or three players who, who've stood out well, I mean, we mentioned him earlier, but I do think Emil Smith-Rowe, given where he was going into the tour and where he is now, I think he's yeah. had a really good week or so. Uh, you know, he's someone who was talked about last season, but he wasn't in that bracket with Nketiah, Nelson, Maitland-Niles. You know, he wasn't getting first-team minutes, uh, but he was impressing at, at youth level. 
he'll be really pleased with what he's come away with. Obviously, the goal against Atletico, that was a terrific strike. But I thought his assist uh, for, well, I think it went down as an own goal, didn't it? It looked like it was maybe Lacazette's, but maybe yeah. an own goal too. But a really good cross from the right-hand side. Uh, and that's not something that we're blessed with in the squad, people who cross the ball brilliantly from wide areas. So I think I think he'll be very pleased with how things have gone for him. And yeah. he's suddenly thrown himself into possible contention, hasn't he? He's put himself on Emery's radar. Yeah, I thought what was interesting as well was the fact that he was taking corners. Yeah. And they step. seem to be quite specific corners as well. The delivery, there wasn't, not that there was a great deal of um, variation, but he seemed to sort of clip the ball back towards where Rob Holding actually scored that goal from, you know? Um, so... They obviously rate him enough to, you know, to let him take set pieces at 17 years of age or 18 years of age. I think he's just turned 18. So uh, happy birthday to him. Yeah, he's definitely somebody who's caught the eye. Uh, he looks quite composed. You know, he only found out the week, the weekend before the tour that he was actually going. So, you know, he spoke after about wanting to make an impact and wanting perhaps to, to play in some of the Euro- Europa League games. And I think that has got to be the the training ground in a way for these young players at the club because it, as much as it didn't necessarily work last season with Arsene Wenger, this sort of two-tone squad or two-tiered squad, it, it it still feels like that's the right way to approach the group stages of the Europa League, doesn't it? To to compartmentalize your team. So if you're playing Chelsea or Manchester City at the weekend, you know, you don't need to play your best players against a, I'm not going to say second rate, but maybe second or third level European side. So you you can give a chance to these young players, keep those players fresh for the Premier League games. And I think that's the way that it's going to work. So there is the possibility of these guys getting game time. Yeah, and we can say it didn't work in some respects. I mean, maybe it didn't provide the level of competition to the Premier League side mm. we might have hoped for, but it did put us within 90 minutes of a European final. It wasn't like it was a, a catastrophic strategy that saw us knocked out of Europe early on. We did manage to get through juggling our priorities in that mm. way. And uh, I think, you know, we've lamented uh, the Under-23 League as you know, perhaps not being the best way for a player to further their development. But I do think that playing Europa League football would be incredibly beneficial to someone like Emil Smith-Rowe. Mm-hmm. So he's someone I, I think has done enough probably to mean that he's probably not going to go out on loan. He's probably going to form part of the squad. I don't think he's going to be in the match day squad every week or anything like it. But I think we'll see bits and pieces of him over the next few months. I mean, someone else, there's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, especially off the back of the PSG game about uh, Gwen Doozy in the midfield. He caught a lot of people's eye. Well, I mean, he has that kind of look to him, doesn't he? He's hard to miss. Yeah, that's for sure. With, yeah. his, with his gigantic mane um, flowing behind him. Uh, yeah, I mean, he did look, I think he was much better against PSG than he was against Atletico Madrid. You could yeah. see that there was passing ability against Atletico Madrid, but I, f- I worried a little that he was... He was a bit slow on the ball, dallied on it, got caught out a couple of times uh, in in positions where you will be punished if that happens to you at Premier League level. But clearly somebody had a word and said, look, you know, cut that out. And he was really very good against against PSG. Early signs promising. Uh, And that's as much, I think that's as much as we can say. The the guy's obviously got some ability, but, uh, you know, how do we, how do we analyze it in any way or in any serious way without either coming across as reading too much into Premier League or uh, preseason games or being completely dismissive of 
performances in preseason. It's a bit of a difficult one, isn't it, to to try and find that balance to say yes, this looks good, but you know, let's let's just calm it down a little bit and take our time and see what he's like in in more competitive games. That's it. I mean, I think what what I'm with this player is I think I'd have to hold my hands up and say I didn't know anything about him when we bought him. You know, he came from the French second division. And, and I didn't know what profile of player we were necessarily buying. And I think watching him play in these friendly games, what we learn is is what kind of footballer he is, you know, what's, what he's like stylistically. Yeah. And that's someone who is happy to drop very deep in between the centre-backs, who has got a good range of passing, um, admittedly not coming under too much pressure in that PSG game. Mm. He's, he's a little bit reminiscent of... Uh, someone like Adrian Rabiot, who Emery had at PSG, you know, a kind of a deep playmaker type. Now, where I will fall short is I saw people online saying, Shaka's done for. If Guendouzi carries on like this, he's never <laughs> going to get his place back. And I think, you know, I, I'm not necessarily sure I concur with that. I don't think we can make that judgment yet by a long stretch. But I do think it probably does spell a bit of trouble if you're somebody like Joe Willock, you know, someone who probably did have an eye on one of those deeper lying holding midfield players, you know, in the Europa League team or the, yeah. or the Capital One Cup team. I think Guendouzi looks like someone who could fill that void and is a good prospect for the future. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Your point about the kind of player he is and the style that he plays with is is a good one. Uh, you know, I like that he's always showing for the ball. In yeah. some ways, that reminds me of, of Aaron Ramsey. When Ramsey used to play a bit deeper in the midfield, you could never accuse him of going missing. He he never hid. He always wanted the ball, even when things weren't working out as, as well for him as he might like. So I like that. I like that in a player when you can see that they want the ball all the time. You know, there are others you can, you watch them and you go, okay, he's there and he's calling for the ball, but he's surrounded by three players. So, you know, there's no way he's going to get it. Uh, whereas this guy is intelligent with his movement and, and where he's looking for the ball and where he's looking to pick it up. But of course, you know, when you start playing uh, more competitive games and these are just training games for the opposition as well, you know, you've got to wonder how many of them are going to bust their holes, um, you know, to, to make tackles and things like that. But Yeah, I, I think as well, like you're right, he, he shows for the ball, he's willing to receive the ball. But he's also not one of those players who whose instinct is to play the simplest pass, who's played to play the short pass or the backwards yeah. pass or the sideways pass. It seems that he's someone with greater vision than that, who's prepared to play, you know, a thirty yard crossfield ball or as he did for a Birmingham at one point, a long ball through the middle yeah. and, and that in, at that age and given his relative inexperience is encouraging that he was prepared to take that responsibility and that he had the technical ability to execute it. I thought, you know, you don't want to go overboard, but when you look at the money that we've paid and you look at the profile of the player, it's encouraging. It looks like, you know, we might have made a, a good deal there. How much did we pay? Something like 8 million? Something like 8 million, which I know sounds like a lot of money for someone that we haven't really heard of, but I guess in the current climate probably isn't all that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that I guess it remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that was good. Well, um, anything, anything else? else? Oh, I know something that annoyed you, which right. was um, Aubameyang playing on the wing again. Yeah. I mean, it didn't really annoy me, but it just... It feels to me like this is a decision that Unai Emery has got to get right going into the new season. You know, we have one of Europe's most clinical strikers on our books. Mm. 
And in the first half against PSG, you could see how it impacts on the way that the team plays and the kind of football that we play. You know, the the speed which we, with which we can break. If we find him early, he's got the pace to get in behind defences. Even if he does peel out to wide areas from that central area, he can contribute as he did with the goal, uh, yeah. you know, crossing for, for Mesut Ozil. And then in the second half, he's on the left and he's immediately less effective and the team I think is less effective as well. So I I'm kind of of the opinion that we're we're kind of it's either or with Lacazette and Aubameyang when it comes to our first choice 11. And I don't mean to say that they can't play together. I think they can. They've illustrated that. They seem to have a good relationship on the pitch and a good relationship off the pitch. And some people will say, well, you can't really have a £50 million striker as a substitute. And I do understand that as well. But when you've got somebody like Aubameyang, who is one of the best central strikers in Europe, I think you've got to play him there. And I don't think you can play Lacazette wide. So that's that's kind of where I am with that. What, what do you think he's going to do here? I think Emery's thinking that there might be sort of a horses for courses situation. And there might be, you know, occasions where he goes with Aubameyang through the middle and other times when he thinks, well, I want to get more strikers on the pitch, a bit like Arsene Wenger did last season. And can he put one of them wide? I mean, actually, I think in the previous friendly match, Lacazette spent some time on the wing himself. I know not. I know it's not ideal, but in a squad not overloaded with wingers, maybe he thinks, I'd love to get Ozil, mm. Lacazette and Aubameyang on the pitch in some home games. And I need, I need a way to do that. I mean, I think my personal inclination like you would be that Aubameyang is the better centre forward of the two. But I can see that if it's a choice between where you've got to have someone in the 11 and it's got to be, I don't know, Lacazette or Iwobi, I might choose Lacazette um, mm. and that might affect where exactly Aubameyang plays. So I don't necessarily know if it's clear cut and we're going to see the same thing every week. I mean, he's used a, a couple of different setups, hasn't he, Emery, during during preseason and during the PSG game alone. I mean, in the first half, it looked almost like a, a 4-4-2 with Ozil playing quite close to Aubameyang, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the interesting things about... Uh, his post-match comments, he was really, really open about what he was trying to do tactically, you know? It's not normal, or we're certainly not used to a manager being that open when it comes to his tactics. Arsene Wenger certainly wasn't that kind of a guy, was he? He didn't go into great detail about why he played a certain formation or why he played somebody where or why why he had two players behind Mesut Ozil in order to you know facilitate uh, his qualities and all that kind of stuff. So I do wonder if that's something that's going to continue throughout the season. I'd be very interested to uh, to hear what he has to say in that regard because you know one of the frustrations. Um, with Arsene, well, it's not with Arsene Wenger, but when it came to Arsene Wenger's press conferences, was because he'd been there for so long, there were, I don't know if they ran out of things to ask him. So they just ask him any old shit in these press mm-hmm. conferences, like ludicrous questions when he could have been asked about 
team setup, team formation? Why did you pick that guy? What's the thinking behind this? Why, you know, are you playing in this, you know, way, et cetera, et cetera? And he never, ever got asked those questions, maybe because they knew he wouldn't answer them in any great detail. But I thought that was interesting. And, and clearly we've seen during the, the tour, we've seen a couple of different formations. We've seen uh, the team switch to three at the back mid-game, I think in both games. Um, yeah. So he's definitely, I won't say flexing his tactical muscles, but he's definitely using these games to to look at different systems and look at different players within those systems. Uh, which one he's going to pick to start the, the season with or which is going to be his, um, his preferred formation, we'll have to wait and see when the games get competitive. But just going back to, to the Aubameyang-Lacazette thing, yeah, I, I feel like that decision will have a major impact on the way that this team plays. Because if you've got Lacazette up front, you're going to play in a different way than if you had Aubameyang up front, right? So it's going to change your 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 outlook or, or the way that you approach um, each individual game. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You will, you will play differently with either one as your spearhead, but I think Arsenal will encounter different types of defences as well. You know, you can imagine mm. occasions where the opposition have a higher line, when we're playing more on the break, when what you desperately want is Aubameyang really at the, the forefront of your team, running in behind, creating space, you know, giving an option for a longer pass. However, there might be times when we're playing against a team with a deep block, when you need someone at centre forward who can hold the ball, who can bring others into play, and where you're looking for playing one twos off that guy, you know, and I think Lacazette might be actually better suited to some of those games. So I think that what we've seen, just the sheer number of formations, the variety of personnel that we've seen from Emery in, in these friendly matches, I think it is an indicator that he's someone who wants to be tactically flexible throughout the season. And I think we will see that come into play. I don't think it's going to be, look, this is my first 11 and you're playing every week. I think he, he's someone who will chop and change a little bit more to suit the occasion. Mm, yeah, it will be very interesting. Because, you know, the, the the flip side of that as well, despite my, I won't say reservations necessarily, but despite my preference for Aubameyang playing up front, he got 10 goals yeah. last season, ostensibly playing in that wide left position. So it depends what you want from your team from the wide left. Do you want a do you want a creator or do you want somebody who can time their runs into the box and finish, which is kind of what Aubameyang does from there. You know, he's not going to be the guy I don't think who's going to who's going to do the Thierry Henry stuff from the left hand side where he he uh, you know provides plenty of assists. I don't really see him as that kind of a player. He's he's more of a finisher. I'm not sure his game is as well-rounded as Thierry Henry's, but you can't deny the fact that he can score goals from that position. So in the absence of a winger or a, uh, another wide player, something that I think you've spoken about before and plenty of people have said over the course of this summer that that might be something we're, we're looking to add or should be looking to add to the squad this is the 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 way to cope with that. Mm. I mean, I think if, if there is going to be a formation that Emery uses as his base system, it's going to be a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, something mm. like that, I think. And, and, you know, you've got to have two wide players in that. Okay, Henry Mkhitaryan might be one of them. Who's, who's your other? And I don't actually think we're blessed with loads of players who can fill that role. So Aubameyang might find himself doing that. And I, I don't have a massive issue with it just because I think that when you had him in that position and you had Lacazette on the field, that was a very, very productive 
relationship in the second half of last season. And yeah. uh, I'd like to see more of it. I'd love to see it as a front two through the middle, but I just think that's an increasingly rare sight in football. Yeah, you don't get that very often. You certainly don't. But uh, no, it will yeah. be interesting to see how he how he sorts that out and sets his team up. You know, the first game of the season will be very informative, I think, you know, because he will have had the majority of the players with him throughout the, the, the preseason. The ones who are due back, I think, uh, Xhaka, Licksteiner and Torreira are back this week. Does Danny Welbeck have another week mm. off? He might well do. Nacho Monreal as well is back this week. Um, we've a, a little bit of a question about that situation, uh, which we'll do in the second half. But, uh, you know, in terms of the, the, the players available to him for that first game, I assume we're going to count out Xhaka, Licksteiner and Torreira for the first game. Although he did play Mesut Ozil, yeah. didn't he? For, you know, even though he'd only been there, he played him from the start against PSG. Captain, Captain Mesut. Yes. What did you make of that? I think it could be quite smart in a way. I'm not necessarily convinced that, that Mesut Ozil is, is captain material, but after the the summer that he's had and after the uh, furore over his comments and his, uh, his uh, decision to step down from the German national side, I don't think it's a bad idea to welcome him back into the Arsenal fold and say, look, you're one of our key players. You're one of our main men. We love you. You know, take the take the armband for this game. It is perhaps only ceremonial, but you know, it's a show of our faith in you and your your ability and and maybe an encouragement for him to take a bit more responsibility. So, you know, I didn't really have a big issue with it. It's a friendly game anyway. Um yeah. What what did you think? Yeah. I thought the same. Look, I don't think I I go as far as I say I don't I definitely don't think Mesut Ozil is captain material in the longer term, but I thought it was a smart move to put an arm around him and and show him that he's important to the club, uh, particularly at the moment given everything that's gone on. And actually when Emery talks about naming five or six captains yeah. potentially, I mean we kind of scoffed a little bit when Arsene Wenger named three, didn't we, back in yeah. 2000 and eight or whatever it was. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's talking about number five or six. That's quite a smart move for an incoming manager to do because if you do pick those five or six guys, you immediately establish yourself a little, you know, a little crew of lieutenants, don't you? I mean, people who feel like, okay, this manager's on side with me. I'm on side with him. We've got this relationship. He's shown me I'm important to the club. Yeah. It seems like a smart way to ingratiate yourself and, and build yourself trust uh, in a squad who don't know you. Yeah. So I'm intrigued to see who those names are. I mean, we've seen a number of them in pre-season, you know, Aaron Ramsey. It wouldn't surprise me if Mesut Ozil was among them. Um, yeah, I mean, he, I'm he sure said, there'll be others. He said uh, Ozil can take responsibility of a captain, but not forgetting Koscielny because he is captain as well. Sure. Petr Cech and Aaron played as captains, and I'm thinking of maybe one or two more players. So yeah. um, he says, I'm thinking of five more captains. So he does want this idea of collective responsibility. I mean, do you think it's a case that this is a good idea? I mean, there's a lot a lot uh, you can say about that, that collective responsibility is far better than heaping it all on one guy. But is it a case that there isn't an obvious standout candidate for it? Or if there is, for example, people might say Aaron Ramsey could be the, the standout uh, candidate for captaincy. But because of the issue that's... Um, that's surrounding him and his contract that he can't necessarily say, I'm going to make Aaron Ramsey captain because in 12 months time he could be gone. 
Yeah, I think that is definitely a factor. And I don't know if what he's proposing is that they will literally share the captain's armband in that, you know, it will rotate among those players. I, I, or, or if he just means there will be a hierarchy within that yeah. five or six players. It's not really clear, to be honest, how he intends to implement it. But something tells me that the reason, what well, another reason that he's spreading that responsibility is to do with the Ramsey situation. Mm-hmm. And that if Ramsey had a, signed a new contract, maybe the decision on the armband would have been made already. But as it is, I think he kind of has to play his cards a bit a bit closer to his chest. But I don't think it's a bad thing. Like I say, you know, putting responsibility on individuals within the group, sharing that burden, yeah. uh, encouraging leadership qualities to come out in more senior players. It seems like smart management to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you slightly worried when you saw Alexandra Lacazette and Henrik Mkhitaryan talking about Aaron Ramsey and how important he was and how he was a legend at the club and how they want him to to sign. To me, it felt a little bit familiar. You know, one of the club's best players and, and other players around are kind of encouraging him publicly to to commit because maybe in private they know that, that he's not. <sighs> yes, it does all feel like a bit of a horribly familiar situation. I think if players if players are confident on honest honest players' stance, they don't need to come out and say those things. I mean, they sounded like guys who don't know what's going on, who from whom there's real uncertainty, and there has to be uncertainty. I mean, Aaron Ramsey spoke himself, didn't he? Was that on the tour or just yeah, before the tour? It was on the tour, and he gave the he gave the answer of you know, I'm leaving it with my agent, but it wasn't enormously uh, convincing. I mean, I mean, we know that Ramsey's never the most uh, what's the word, loquacious guy in any interview, (laughs) but it it wasn't putting it lightly, but it wasn't massively convincing. I mean, that clock just keeps ticking down, doesn't it? And I, uh, it it is, there are stories beginning to circulate now about Chelsea, which is perhaps a surprising name, but I think as we get close to that deadline, more names will come out of the woodwork because this is something that feels like it's going to come to a, ahead one way or the other and even if the decision is that we decide to keep him beyond the English transfer deadline and that's all it is the English transfer deadline um, that still is a decision that has to be made and the club have not said Aaron Ramsey will not be sold this summer you know mm. that's that's not been a message that you've seen anywhere so I think it's all still in play. Yeah, I mean, we've been over this ground quite often, haven't we? But I think the the, the fact that we are seeing Chelsea linked, whether that's real or whether it's his agent talking about Chelsea in order to force Arsenal's hand or whatever it is, you know, we are beginning to see clubs linked with Aaron Ramsey because that was the thing people were falling back on was the fact that there hasn't been any real public... um, what's the word I'm looking for here, wooing of Ramsey from from other clubs. And maybe some of the clubs that might want to buy him don't look that attractive to Aaron Ramsey um, at this moment in time because they might have their their own problems with their own um, grumpy managers or whatever. But um, yeah, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. There's nothing more we can really say about that. But look, just before we go into uh, part two of the show, I want to go back to the broadcasters, of the International Champions Cup, who we mentioned at the start of the show. And for me, this was the most outstanding piece of commentary from the two games. It comes from the PSG game, and it's about uh, Matteo Guendouzi, who we spoke about a bit earlier. Uh, this is this is fantastic. See if you can figure out why. Guendouzi, of course, might have 
be useful in the build-up to this game. Keith, the ex-Lorient player, he would probably have been able to have informed Emery about some of these young players. May well have played against them in uh, reserve football in France, I would think. It was a surprise to, to see him. I mean... Sorry, I'm going to stop this. <laughs> I love the idea that <laughs> Matteo Guendouzi who might have played reserve football for Lorient against some of the uh, PSG youngsters, might have the inside track on those PSG players because, like, how would Unai Emery know anything about them? Well, that's it. I mean, there's no possible way. You know, it's not like he was working there a, a matter of weeks ago. Uh, I mean, incre incredible. I think they were so busy, uh, you know, hyping up the International Champions Cup or whatever it's called that they forgot everything else they knew about football in that moment. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, anyway, well done to those guys. Uh, that was a, a true comedy moment, uh, which brightened up uh, the PSG game. Um, so, look, we're going to leave it there for part one. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on our MySpace page, which is, no, we don't have, we don't have MySpace. Um, right, you said you have loads of questions, so you go first. I was boasting. You was were. Boasting, and now, and now I've got to pay the price. Yeah. Uh, well, this question, we talked about this a little bit in part one, but this is from Humza Sadiq, who's at Humza6197. And Humza asks, Shakiri joined Liverpool training last week, yet Shaka and Licksteiner aren't back until Monday. It's a similar case with the likes of Mendy and Bernardo Silva cutting their holidays short to rejoin Man City. Do you think our players should be called back early? It is a summer of great change at Arsenal. Uh, no. I think you have to uh, manage players and manage their fitness and also remember that they're human and need a holiday and need a break. So when you played a long season like Xhaka has, for example, he played a, a lot of football for Arsenal. He's one of those guys who plays a lot. He's gone to the World Cup. He's trained. He's played. He needs a break. 
You know, you can't on one hand complain that players are fatigued or injured and just play them week in, week out, right? You've got to give them some time off. I think the Shakiri thing at Liverpool perhaps was a little bit different. Uh, Liverpool might have different ideas about how to manage players' fitness. So uh, I, I would assume that all this was done with you know, the full knowledge of Unai Emery with the knowledge of the new coaching staff, you know, the technical staff of the club, the medical staff. You know, if you if you play at the World Cup to this point, you need X amount of time off. And that's that's the way that it goes. I think it does in some ways put them at a little bit of a disadvantage, you know, because like you say, it is all change. It's not like coming back to the same thing with Arsene Wenger. It's all new and it's all different. And Hector Bellerin is talking about how new and different everything is. You know, everything, so much has changed in terms of how they work, the gym work, the tactical work, the training, the preparation, all those things. So these guys are coming in at a slight disadvantage because they're a couple of weeks behind. And um, they'll have to convince a manager who might be on his way to making his mind up about certain players and the way that he wants his team to play and and which players he wants to play. But I don't see any problem in giving them the holidays. Yeah, I think the very fact that we have more players back from the World Cup or who didn't go to the World Cup means that we can afford to give guys like Shaka uh, and Licksteiner a little bit more time. I don't think there's a need to rush them back. We're, we're going to have be significantly stronger than most of our rivals at the start of the season anyway. Um, we did have this specific question on the same subject. I wondered what you made of this one. This was from Evan Hawes, who's at, at Evan Hawes on Twitter. And Evan says... Do you think Danny Welbeck should have tried to join the team straight away from the World Cup? I understand vacations are important, but due to his lack of minutes in Russia and his status in the team, perhaps would it have been wise to join immediately? Do you think it's going to cost Danny Welbeck that he's so late back? I'm not sure that that's going to be the thing that decides Danny Welbeck's future. Right. You know, um, I, I I don't think that's it. You know, you can't just come off the World Cup and just go straight back to training. You have to have a break, even mentally, even if you haven't played, even if you were just training, you still need a break mentally just to recharge your batteries. Um, yeah. Is it is it beneficial for Danny Welbeck? No, it's not. I don't mm-hmm. think it's beneficial to him, and that's a bit unfortunate, and it might have a negative impact on, you know, what he might like his future at Arsenal to be. But maybe that future has already been decided. Maybe, you know, there have been discussions behind the scenes um, about what's going to go on with Danny Welbeck, whether we're going to keep him or whether we're going to sell him. You know, he has the same contract situation as as Aaron Ramsey. So it's not ideal for him, but I don't think he should just come back and not take any not take any holiday. Um, no, let's not forget, this is a guy who in the past few years has had pretty serious injury problems as well. So... I think suggesting that he should go and play train at World Cup or summer and then go straight back into Arsenal training, I think, yeah. you know, it's pretty risky, whatever your intentions for him. Even if you want to sell him, you know, you've got to be fit and rested and able to get through a medical. Uh, but I do think it probably is going to cost him yeah. simple perspective. He hasn't had the opportunity to impress Emery, has he? And with the deadline being so soon after he comes back, he may not get that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's one where... I think a decision has to be made. Are they going to leave the value of Danny Welbeck on the table and keep him for another 12 months or move him on, mm. get some money in and maybe reinvest? You know, speaking of which, speaking of reinvestment, we have a question here from Stuart, who's at Stuart Wilders. And he says, do you feel confident of one big signing before transfer deadline day? 
Uh, it depends what he means by big, doesn't he? I, I, I think not small. Yeah, right. I've always wondered. It seems such a simple mm. word, but thank you for learning. No problem. I, I um, I'm not particularly confident. Actually, I I don't. I'm not hugely confident there will be one more signing. I know Emery is talking as if there will be, um, but if there are no major sales, I think this this might well be our lot. Yeah. Of course, if there is a sale, that could change a lot. Yeah. Um, and the one you're looking at is Aaron Ramsey, and I, I don't even necessarily think that if he went, it would be a like-for-like like replacement. But what, what do you think? Do you think there'll be another big big buy? Don't think so. I don't think so. Um, no. I wouldn't be averse to it. Uh, there's a you know a lot of chatter, isn't there, about uh, Dembele from Barcelona? Um, but I don't they know. Malcolm, of course. Yeah, they did bought Malcolm. They did bought Malcolm. <laughs> they have. <laughs> they done bought him. They done bought him, mate. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not averse to bringing in more players. I'm not averse to adding more quality to the squad in whatever position that might be. I'm okay with it. You know, if we can get a good player who's going to make us better, then then let's do that. I do wonder a little bit about the size of our squad right now. It feels very big, doesn't it? It is. It, it is big. It is. It is. Um, yeah, it does feel very big. So I suspect that we've got to get shot of some players before we can even um we can even think about bringing anyone else in i tell you, know? you what on that subject yeah. i mean it tells you something about how his stock has fallen that we haven't even had a question i don't think about it but this of course has been the week in which jeff ren adelaide yeah. has left the club what did you make of that i think it's probably the right thing for him as a player mm. uh you look at the midfield at Arsenal and you wonder where he was going to get into it. He's had some real problems with injuries. Um, he did well, I think, when he went to... How do you pronounce it? Angers? Angers, yeah, I think Angers? that's right. Sorry, French people, if I've got that wrong. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, he, he seemed to have a good impact there and play relatively regularly. And look, you know, it's... Um, it's an illustration that despite all the hype that surrounds a young player and all the, the goodwill and all the hope that we have for these guys, um, we want them to make it. We want them to to develop from that eye-catching young starlet who plays without fear and you can see there's real talent and potential there that the, the, the path to the first team is difficult for so many reasons. You know, mm. injuries, form better players ahead of you not being given a chance, perhaps being given a chance and not necessarily taking that chance. Um, fate, circumstance, whatever it might be that helps you become a first team player. You know, there's a whole cocktail of ingredients that can go into it. And we're sitting here and we're really enthused, aren't we, about Eddie Nketiah and Emile Smith-Rowe and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who has established himself a little bit, and Reese Nelson and, you know, young players like that. But the reality is that maybe one of them, two of them will be Arsenal players in a yeah. few years' time. That's it. For every Hector Bellerin, there's a J. Emmanuel Thomas. Yeah. And I think I saw him linked with a move to the non-league the other day, J. Emmanuel Thomas. Oh, you meant Hector uh, Bellerin for a sec. 
Oh, right. No, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see him, how he'd get on down there. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, Tuba Akpom is another one who's reportedly on a, the verge of a move to PAOK in Greece in Thessaloniki. Yeah. I think that's, I think he's due to arrive there today for a medical, two million pounds. He's another one who had his moments in pre-season games who looked like a, a big prospect. And I, I guess what he and the Jeff have in common in some respects is that they were both quite physically developed quite young. And I think that sometimes probably made them stand out over some of their, over their colleagues. Not that there wasn't technical ability there too, but yeah. they, have, they haven't made the cut and they are the names that are being cut from the squad now. Uh, and there is more trimming to happen. You know, yeah. We've talked about the list of names already. But Joel, Joel Campbell. Of course. Yeah, his Carl comments. Jenkinson. Yeah. Um, Spina, you know. Yeah. What about uh, um, Lucas Perez? I mean, is he somebody you would keep around? I mean, I can't remember. How much did he feature in the tour? Uh, he played in the Atletico Madrid game. Did he come yeah. on in the PSG game? I can't sure remember. I don't, I don't remember him doing so. My, my, my abiding memory of him in the, in the Atletico Madrid game was hanging on to the ball too, late, too long. Could have been Enquetia who was looking for a pass in the box. And when Enquetia said something to him, Paris basically told him to fuck off. Uh, which, you know, I don't know if that is anything other than his character on the pitch or anything that's out of the ordinary, but, you know, he's a senior player at a club with young players. Maybe that's not the way to, um, you know, to, to, to deal with a, a situation like that. I could be reading far too much into it, of course, but he strikes me as somebody who might be on the way as well. But I, I, I have a feeling that perhaps that the Welbeck situation might feed into the Lucas Perez situation a bit. Yeah, I think there are three situations that kind of are interdependent to an extent. Welbeck and Lucas Perez, but and you mentioned him there, but I also think Eddie and Katia might be a factor in those conversations too. Mm. You know, it's difficult to determine how much uh, Emery and Sven rate and Katia, but he, you know, he scored against PSG. He'll feel he's kind of doing everything he can do to knock on the door and it might be a question of letting somebody go just so he can get the odd bit of game time here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's going to be the next thing and uh, of course there are issues at the top, I would say, or uh, issues at board level which um, may well be impacting on our on our business dealings if this uncertainty surrounding Ivan Gazidis continues. I'm not sure how helpful that is at a time when we're trying to uh, move players on. Depending, of uh, course, on the, the responsibility or the authority that other people in the club have to get deals done or to sanction deals. You know, if, if things have to go through Ivan Gazidis, I, I, it's such a strange situation. I don't want to really give it too much time because, um, you know, I, I sort of promised I wouldn't get um, sucked into a saga involving Gazidis. But, you know, if he is going and, uh, you know, they're talking about him taking the job from the 1st of September, surely there are conflicts of interest with him remaining uh, at Arsenal at a time when we're trying to do transfer business and his new club, if that is the case, are trying to do transfer business too. Yeah, I, I think that is a bit of a a bit of an issue. I mean, what one has to hope that the team that have been put in place by Gazidis, admittedly, uh, are able to conduct their affairs without him. And, you know, you would think, given the experience that Raul Sanyei has of working at Barcelona, mm. given the role he was brought into play, that he might be able to help conduct transfer affairs, you know, without necessarily Gazidis' uh, say-so. You, you'd hope so anyway, because otherwise that could put a real 
block on our on, on our business between now and, and the deadline. Mm, okay. Uh, here's a question from Bjorn Alm, who's at Alm N5. He says, I know it's only preseason, but doesn't it look like all the players in the centre of defence are backups? He says, I mean, no one is near Pete Koscielny, for one thing. That's fair. I think that is fair. But Pete Koscielny, I mean, is one of the best defenders in Europe, isn't he? When he's at his absolute best, when he's on top of his game and he's feeling fully fit and mm. not making a crazy kamikaze error. Um, I am concerned about the central defence. It looks like it's going to be Socrates and uh, Mustafi. Mm. Uh, I was surprised, by the way, actually, I noticed against PSG that it seemed to be that Socrates was on the left side of the centre-halves with Mustafi on the right. Why was that a surprise to you? Because Mustafi nearly always plays as the right-sided centre-half. Well, or nearly always, but he didn't for a period last season. He it, it even forced Koscielny to play on the right at one stage in a back four. And also, I think... I don't as- remember that. Really? Yeah, yeah. We talked about it on the show. Oh, I mean, I don't doubt that. I mean, I just don't remember it. Yeah, it was a weird thing. It was when, after we went from the back three, where Koscielny had played on the right of the back three, uh, when we went to the four, for quite a while, Koscielny stayed on the right of the four. And it wasn't pretty. Mm. (laughs) But, um, and I think, from what I understand, Socrates was played on the right primarily, Dortmund. I mean, I do sometimes feel that maybe too much stock is put in whether the centre half is on the left or the right. What's your opinion about that? I don't really know. I mean, I just know that from playing football myself, I always played as the left-sided centre right. half. I just felt more comfortable there. Yeah. Um, and I guess that would be true of certain players. They would have a preference as to which side they they play. Whether whether they're any more effective or less effective on the other side. I don't know, but like Tony Adams always played as a left-sided centre-half, mm. you know? I mean, I, th- I think Socrates and Mustafi are both right-sided centre-halves. That's my estimation of it based on what I've seen of them mm. previously. I, and that's potentially a concern. I have to say, I am really in the camp of the young English guys. I know that Chambers and Holding have their problems and have their critics, but when I look at Socrates and Mustafi, and maybe this is crazy given that both those guys are experienced internationals. I just feel like there is a higher ceiling there. And also there seems to be a real will on the on behalf of those players to make a partnership work. When they play together, it feels like there is a bit of balance between them. Yeah. Um, and I know it sounds mad, but I wouldn't be adverse to, to giving youth its head and going with it. I don't feel any less secure withholding in chambers than I do with Socrates and Mustafa. Yeah, I mean, look, my jury or my verdict is is very much out on on Socrates because uh, I need need to see him properly playing competitive games. I can't say I'm overly confident, but the slate is blank until such time as we see him play and we see him perform and what he can bring to the team. He spoke quite well at the weekend about uh, sharing his experience, um, which he has a lot of. There's no question about it. He's played a lot of football. He's 30. He should be uh, an experienced presence within that dressing room and on the pitch. So I'm willing to to watch him play for us before I make any real judgment about him. Um, Mustafi, I remain uh, concerned about. 
I think that's a diplomatic way of putting it. Um, and like you, I can see that withholding and with chambers, there is potential there. I just wonder if they kind of need somebody of the caliber of Koscielny alongside them to help them develop properly. Like, I'm not sure how much you can learn as a young player from Mustafi, for example. Right? Yeah. Um, so I am a little bit concerned about the center of our defense. It feels to me, and I think you're right, that the the first choice could well be Mustafi Socrates to begin with simply because they are the two most experienced centre-halves available to Unai Emery. But maybe we'll get a surprise. Maybe he's a a coach who's going to be brave and who's going to say, "Okay, it might not be the best partnership just yet, but potentially it could well be uh, using Chambers, using Holding, even using Mavropanos. We have to wait and see what Unai Emery is going to do. But when you bring in somebody like Socrates for £16 million, it feels like you're bringing him in to be, you know, the leader of the defence, to add something to the defence that that you don't have anywhere else. And that is experience and a bit of um, physicality and and everything else. So, yeah, it's it's a concern for me. The centre of our defence is a concern, which is why I'm interested in what we do in midfield with Lucas Torreira, for example, um, are we going to offer more protection to our central defenders from midfield to offset their weaknesses? So, yeah, I, 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 it feels like we've got a collection of defenders who are all all have their problems. Uh, central defenders, this is, uh, and there isn't an outstanding one among them. Mm. Um, and that is a worry about, you know, for however much we can talk about needing a winger or, you know, a striker or whatever it might be, if, if a world-class centre-half became available, Arsenal really should be in the mix. I know they've got plenty of numbers back there, but it's a question of quality, not quantity, really. And yeah. we are a bit lacking in, in that department. Yeah, I just have uh, a quick follow-on question just in terms of our, our defence. It comes from Gunnar Nair who's at Nair the Gooner on Twitter. He says, are you worried about our left-back situation? I know it's only pre-season, but Kolasinac looked uh, a weak point in our team in the goals conceded against Atletico Madrid and PSG. Yeah, the way he conceded the penalty wasn't great, was it, in the PSG game? I mean, he was mm. turned pretty easily there. Um, I still think Nacho Monreal is going to be uh, the left-back, and I think he's the best left-back that we've got. I think Kalasnach is going to get plenty of football and I think that given that it's only his second season, they'll want to give him that opportunity. Um, but I I think it's something where we might need something in the long term. You know, it's it's one that maybe not this summer, but next summer, mm. surely it's going to be on the agenda because Nacho Monreal isn't getting any younger. Yeah. Yeah. Are you worried about it? A little bit. A little really? Bit. Just think that Nacho might be... It's not at that the I, age I, where things can downturn quickly, or yeah, not so much that. I mean, I think he's a very fit guy. I think he's consistent. That's one of the the great things about Monreal is that he is uh, a really consistent player. I, I'm a little bit concerned about Kalasinac. I have to mm. say, um, in a back four, especially. Yeah, I was I was interested to see him play the full ninety against Atletico Madrid and then play more or less the full. Did he play the entire game? Against um, did Jordi also Tutu come on at the end? Maybe mm, as the left back. Maybe. I can't remember. Um, I, yeah, I just wonder if they're they're working him, you know, from a physical point of view. 
if yeah. that's a deliberate thing to to work. Uh, let's see the teams here. Kalasinac, he did he go off um, against PSG? He did. After seventy three minutes, he was replaced by uh, Maitland Niles. Actually, Maitland so Niles, yeah. So I mean, he he played the vast majority of the two games. <sighs> I don't know. I a couple know. of people have said he looks a little bit lighter, a little bit trimmer this summer. Have you seen anything of that yourself? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I haven't really, I haven't really noticed. Yeah, I haven't, we haven't been that up close and personal um, for me to check out his, uh, his physique in that. He did that. look like the Hulk in that green kit, though. He did, yeah. I don't like that kit at all. It's not great. Especially Pretty when they fresh. get damp. When they get damp and sweaty. Um, they're all different colours. Like the substitutes were a different colour from our players because when, when the players were sweating, the, 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 the kit got darker and damper and the new guys came on and looked bright and shiny. The old guys look, I don't know, strange. Um, yeah, that's odd. Um, green kits are always weird, yeah. I think. Yeah, I agree. It's like green cars, you know, you don't do it. No. <laughs> um, yeah, a bit worried about Kalasinac too. Um hoping Monreal could sort of hold up. On the subject of the defence, just very quickly, what about that header from Rob Holding? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, love a good header. Love a good header. He really thumped that, didn't he? Because it was one of those... One of those was like driven almost, you know, like sort of laced towards him. Yeah. And then just a brilliant header. Yeah, fantastic. Let's have some more of that. Let's have some more of that, Rob Holding. Um, well, look, this is a question about pre-season and what's available to view. It's from Fred, who's at RLF86. Mm. And Fred asks, is there a better pre-season sport than watching Mourinho's meltdowns? No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fantastic. Like clockwork, he's at it again. He is at it again, complaining about his squad, complaining about the lack of transfer activity. I love it. I love it. It's delicious, isn't it? It's mm. really, oh, it's it's fantastic. I mean, it, third season coming up, you can feel it. I mean, do you do you think he, how bad do you think it's going to get for him? Do you think he might go fully mad again? He might go full sort of Chelsea as he did before. I hope so. Like I really <laughs> hope so. I don't know what angle it'll take this time. Obviously, he was. He behaved appallingly to, towards the, the the Chelsea physio, or she was the doctor, wasn't she? Club doctor. Um, yeah, you know, so he behaved appallingly there. What he's going to do, I've got no idea. You know, I would be quite happy to see him, you know, uh, slap Bobby Charlton on the top of the head repeatedly or, or you know, get involved in a, a slagging match with Paul Pogba, something like that. You know, what's he going to do to Pogba just to, to to throw his weight around? You know, marginalize a guy who yeah. was instrumental in a World Cup win, probably, and play some some kid in midfield because Pogba, I don't know what. Anyway, look, I, I, I hope it's one of the things that we can enjoy this season, along with Arsenal being better, Mourinho losing his reason again. Anyone who can't enjoy that is dead inside. And is it potentially, you know, does it make Manchester United a little bit more vulnerable in terms of if our aim is get back into the top four, if Mourinho can have one of his implosions, mm. that's, that's got to help our chances. It certainly does. It's got to be good for us. Any any distraction or anything that might make the other teams worse 
I think is going to be uh, is going to be good for us. You know, Tottenham have got their distractions as well. They can't play in their new toilet bowl for uh, for for quite a while. Uh, they've got players who've been away at the World Cup, key players who are going to be coming back late. Manchester City, the same thing. I think they're strong enough to to cope with all that. Um, yeah, anything that damages our potential opponents, I'm I'm good with. I'm good with. Me too. Yeah, uh, it's making for fantastic. Viewing, mm. So keep it coming, Jose. I'm okay. enjoying it. Here, here's a question from uh, Beardy McBeardface at Bearded Hannon who says, what do you make of how jacked the players seem to be in terms of how muscly they are? There's a picture here of Aaron Ramsey with his with his um, his bulging biceps. There's a picture of Rob Holding in the gym. He's got huge arms, Rob Holding. He looks to have really bulked up. Petr Cech appears to have bulked up as well. He says, I mean, do you think it suggests a more physical style of play? Is this is this deliberate? Have they been sent away by, I won't say Unai Emery, but perhaps Darren Burgess? Darren has, Burgess, has I was going to say. I mean, put it these does feel in. a little bit like maybe this is his influence. Yeah. Um, because he was in place in the club before and he would have been the guy maybe giving these players training plans to take away with them over the summer uh, and implement at the gym in pre-season too. Look, I think... With footballers, it's it's a delicate balance. I mean, I remember players, it's funny, the guy said the players look jacked. I remember Jack himself, Jack Wilshire, coming back from a long time out. He spent so much time in the gym and you did feel a bit like it affected his mobility. You know, he wasn't quite as nimble as he as he was before. Uh, but I think with players like centre-halves, where maybe the, you know, the, requires, the requirements of dexterity are not quite so great, it's probably a positive. I think... Look, Darren Burgess was hired because he's absolutely one of the best in his field. There's been a big churn in terms of the physical and medical staff this summer. So it's no surprise maybe that the player's physical profile is a little bit different. And if we have been physically vulnerable before, it would be great for that not to be the case next season. Mm. Yeah. Do you think there's something in it? I mean, do you think there is a noticeable yeah. change? There is very much a noticeable change. You know, footballers tend to be smaller and slighter than you think if you meet them in real life, unless you're meeting, you know, a gigantic monster of a guy. Generally speaking, they're 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 small, they're quite light and lithe and supple and glistening and moist. No, <laughs> but you know, you can be surprised at how, you know, you expect them to be really muscly, but they're not. They're just low body fat. Um that they're strong, but they're not as as uh, mus- muscly as these Arsenal players are now, it, it's definitely different. Definitely. And it must be to do with Darren Burgess and the fitness regime that he has them on. Because yeah. they do look, if you look at um, Aussie rules players, they've got these huge big arms, don't they? When you see them, because, I mean, you can see them because they wear these um, sleeveless type That's things, true. don't they? Yeah. So they're a bit more apparent. But that's always been a feature of their physiques. And if you look at the Rob Holding picture in that in that tweet, it's like, holy shit. I've got to see this Rob Holding picture. Where Hang on is it? It's um let me send it through to you now. Because I've seen the Aaron Ramsey one where he has got a vest on and he looks I mean, his arms are huge. There you go. I just sent it to you on the chat thing here in uh, the recording. Okay. What's it? Right. And uh, so if you open that up. Now I just need to find oh there it is. Bearded Hannon. Top right. Oh. Top right. Christ, sorry. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, filled out, as they say. Yeah. That is pretty remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. 
It's wow. very, it's a change. It's a real change in their in their physiques. Mm. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm distracted now. That's quite... And, we, and we've all seen the Pedacet picture, of course. Yeah. He's bursting out of his goalkeeping top. Uh, look, I mean, change is good, right? And this feels like a, a positive step. And I think we can... We can attribute it to Burgess. It feels like this is uh, his work starting to to pay dividends. For sure, for sure. Um, have I got some more questions? Remember when I was boasting? Yeah, about you how said many you I had loads. I know, I know. Well, I'll tell you what, what about this? I think this is an interesting one from Nick, who's at Nick4768. And he says, now that Aubameyang is settled, have you noticed just how much of a positive influence he seems to be in the changing room, both with senior players and the youth? Yeah, I have, big time. Yeah. He does seem to be a really fun character, a really good guy to have around. Um, His social media interactions, I know, you know, we can't read a huge amount into all that kind of stuff, but he does seem to have a laugh with the players, doesn't he, on social media and everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, He seems upbeat. He seems cheerful. He seems, uh, you know, hardworking, but also ready to have a bit of fun. And you've got to have that in the dressing room. And actually... When you consider who left in January and who's come in in January, it is a bit of a sea change, isn't it, between uh, someone like Obama Yang and Alexis Sanchez? Not to downplay Alexis as a footballer, but we know that he was not the most popular guy <laughs> in the yeah. in the Arsenal changing room by a long way. You know, they respected him for his footballing quality, but basically he was hard to get along with. And he he wasn't well liked. Whereas Aubameyang has come in, scored the goals, but also in scoring the goals has integrated perfectly into the squad with, as you say, with senior players, with young players. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a really positive influence, and uh, we can't underestimate the the impact that a, a dressing room that's really together can have. Because if you're divided, or if you're in camps, or if you're you know, at odds or loggerheads with certain players, it can have an impact. You know, it's human nature. So it's good to see the guys getting on as well. Yeah. And I think it's funny, isn't it? Because when we signed Aubameyang, some of the stories coming out of Germany were, oh, he's a bit of a difficult character. Yeah. You know, he can be tricky and divisive in the dressing room. Well, that hasn't been the case at all. And, and uh, you know, even when he left Dortmund, it seemed like he was a pretty popular guy among the players, if not necessarily the management. Uh, and when he's when things are going for you, I think he's a great guy to have around. A huge contrast to Alexis in that respect. And it is really important if you think about successful teams, successful squads, sometimes they do have these kind of big characters at the heart of them. And yeah. I think we're, we're lucky to have him as much for what he does off the pitches, on it. I mean, on the pitch is probably more important, but yeah, off yeah. it, he seems to be making a, a good impact too. Um, just sticking with Aubameyang, Andrew McEwen, who's at Andrew McEwen5, says, um, do you think we'll keep him happy if we're not playing him through the middle? If we're doing that as a way to get him and Lacazette to start? Like if- I think we will, if I'm honest. Like, I don't get the sense... And, and it's something Lacazette has spoken about and Aubameyang spoken spoken about individually, about their willingness to work together... Um, and I, he's a less, for, for such a prolific goal scorer, he's a much less selfish player than I had perhaps envisaged. Hmm. Uh, so I think, I think he would be all right about it. Uh, as long as he did get games through the middle too. I think if he was exclusively on the wing, maybe that'd be an issue. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, 
it's possible, isn't it, that he might get a bit fed up playing out wide. But it, it will depend on what he's doing out there. I think if he's scoring goals or, or if the team is set up with him out wide to give him the freedom to get in the box and score goals, I think once he's scoring goals, he won't really mind that much. You know, I think that's the yeah. end game for him. Um if it's a case that he's stuck out wide and the team struggles and we're struggling to score, then it might be a different thing. Then he I, might be inclined to say, look, you know, this is my best position. Why aren't you playing me here? The team would be better if I was if I was playing there. So Yeah, if that is how he feels, I mean, as much as he's had huge success through the middle, there might be a degree to which in some games he feels, look, if I play out wide, I haven't got two giant Premier League centre-halves on my heels all throughout the game, I can find a bit of space. I can find more room to, to get goals. I I do think that he is not unhappy playing on the wing. I think that he has at times enjoyed some of that freedom. But what we don't like is when we see him chasing a winger back to the edge of his own penalty area. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't feel like the right way. No. It doesn't feel like an efficient use of his abilities. No, it doesn't. So uh, again, that's where it comes back to Unai Emery and, uh, the way that he's going to set up his team. Have you got one more? Uh, I'll tell you what, I've got a quick uh, game for you. It's from George Bushell, who's at that guy, George B. Okay. And he wants you to play higher or lower with the following stats. Okay. Okay. Right. So he says, Lacazette league starts 20. Higher or lower? Higher. Higher. Okay. Ozil league assists 15. Higher or lower? Higher. Big call. That's a big call. Yeah. What about this? Callum Chambers' league starts, 15. Higher or lower? Lower. Lower. Okay. Bad luck, Callum. I hope everyone's playing along at home. And then finally, Arsenal, end of season position, fifth. Higher or lower? (laughs) You don't have to answer that one if you don't want to. Higher. Higher. Good. I love optimism. So I was quite optimistic. If if Ozil gets more than 15 assists, we're going to score plenty of goals. Yeah. I think he's the only person creating. <laughs> yeah, look, I think I think we've got a lot of attacking potential. Where we have concerns and, and some worries at the moment is at the back. But maybe those sure. will be allayed with some good performances and uh, good structure, good organisation and hard work all over the team that might uh, make us better defensively. Okay, here's a final one for me then. Uh, this is from Damon at Techie Day Moon. He says, what's the worst butchering of an Arsenal player's name you've ever heard? Hearing the ESPN commentators pronounce Enketia's name as Nekataya during the Atletico friendly made me shed a tear. Well, I, do you know what? I heard an official piece of Arsenal content the other day where he was described, he was called Eddie Nukatia. Right. And I, and I, I shit you not. I can't remember where it was, but it wasn't, mm, it was Nuka. Nuka. Now, now, I don't know if that's correct or not. I feel like this is another situation where we need the Arsenal media team to do a little clarification with Eddie, with Eddie saying his name into camera. Yeah. But I have seen that elsewhere. So whether that's being briefed by the club, as that's how Eddie wants his name pronounced, or whether this is just a sort of mistake that has spiralled out of control... I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a responsibility on Arsenal Football Club to provide a pronunciation guide, much like the BBC do, 
you know, for all the, the foreign names that they use uh, and might come up in news broadcasts, there is a pronunciation guide. How do I say this? How do you say this country's name? How do you say this president's name? How do, you know, that's there. We need that for all the Arsenal players. We need the, yes. this is the, we could call it the Serge Gnabry Nabry um there are, so, there are so many this season as well, you know, that we're struggling with. You've got Socrates versus Socrates. You've got Leno versus Lino. Lino. You've Leno. got, you know, Nketiah versus Nukatia. You've, I mean, there's, there's plenty. There's plenty of problems out there. So Aubameyang, I'm not even going to get into Aubameyang. We've been there before. We've been down that road. So. Ramsey, Ramsey. Ramsey, exactly. exactly. You know, <laughs> Uzil. <laughs> there's a lot of things for us to contend with. So, um, Kalasinac, yeah. Kalasinac, exactly. Kalasinac. Well, I mean, this is without touching Gwendozi. So, you know, a, a, a guide would be good. As for the worst I've ever heard, it's not the most grievous in terms of it being a mispronunciation, but just getting it wrong when it was relatively simple, Carzola used to drive me mad. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Santi Carzola. No. Yeah. No, not having that. Yeah, I mean the uh, the guy. What was uh, the Keith Andrews? I think during the the Premier Sports game, and this is only fresh in my mind because it happened a couple of days ago. I'm sure there have been loads of them down the years that I can't remember. But uh, Gwenduzi was doozy for a number of uh, <laughs> a number of uh, his commentary insights. Now it could be just a case that uh, you know when people he thought his name was Gwen. <laughs> yeah, Gwenduzi. <laughs> Oh dear! Mm. Uh, it might well be a case, but sometimes people just sort of, uh, if they're not, if they're not sure of a, a name or how to pronounce it, they just kind of, you know, hurry Blech. through it or muddle through it. So yeah, great ball there from Doozy. Um, yeah, there, there must be, um, there must be others, but yeah, there was uh, Macatarian. He kept calling him Macatarian as well. Not Keith Andrews, the commentator. It was kind of an Irish name or Scottish name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Henrik Makatarian. Yeah, exactly. Henry Makatarian. From the He's clan a- Makatarian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? A doozy of a mistake a in that one. I mean, I just think, you know, it, we are a difficult squad to pronounce. This is the hardest it's ever been, I would say, for an, for a, for an anglicised, you know, speaker. Yeah, so come on. Come on, Arsenal. Come on, Arsenal yes, web content Bible, team. Exactly. Get that, get that thing. Bible. Yeah, exactly. Every player, just a quick one to camera. This is how you pronounce my name. End of story. There can be no... Uh, they should do that. You know, in Sky Sports, when they sort of do the team and they have that weird little animation of the players like walking to the front and put, folding their arms, they oh, should yeah, also yeah. pronounce their name at that point. Yeah, just, just march up to... Bum, bum, bum. Makitarian. Yeah. <laughs> With his kilt <laughs> and his Jimmy wig. Yeah. Oh, that'd be amazing. All right. Well, look, we're going we're gonna to leave it there. Uh, if you do like what we do on the podcast and if you want access to some extra content, extra podcasts, consider becoming an Arsblog member on Patreon. It costs just a fiver a month and you get access to all of our uh, extra bonus podcasts as well as supporting the site and supporting these podcasts. And we thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, we will have a podcast on Friday. Arsenal, of course, are in Dublin this week on Wednesday, so may see some of you at the game or around the game, so that should be uh, quite fun. I'll report back from there on the website during the week. Um, James, we'll catch you on the next one. Um, have a good uh, have a good week. Yeah, I'll be in Edinburgh this week. Oh. Uh, so I, I won't be 
in uh, he won't be in, in Dublin. Dublin, sadly. But I'll be watching. I think it's on the telly. It'll be viewable somewhere, won't it? So I'm sure it will be. Can I'll people be come and see what it all means? Gwen Doozy will have the captain's armband. He's the fifth player. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's see how we get on. It's- Chelsea. He's I mean, our, it's always good to be Chelsea. He's our eighth captain, yeah. Uh, can people go and see what you're doing in Edinburgh, or is it a... They can, but not till the 16th of August. Four appearances from the 16th to the 19th. Okay, cool. We'll, so we'll, I'll plug that near the time, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right, folks, thanks a million for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.